Transmitter device activated. Coordinate set for Earth 2. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Earth 2 podcast, your weekly explanation of the DC Comics multiverse and the legacy of their Golden Age characters through the Silver and the Bronze Ages of comics. I'm Peter Watson. And I haven't heard the last two episodes yet. I'm David Steele. Welcome back. Thank you for joining us. Yes, listeners, it's time for the wrap-up episode following the introduction of the Freedom Fighters and JLA issues 107, 108. Isn't that right, Peter? It most certainly is, David, yes. Yes, I, I say I haven't heard them. As we speak, Peter is still editing. Isn't that right, Peter? Mm, yes. <laughs> I, I've given I've given Peter strict instructions, or I gave Peter strict instructions that I'd didn't want him to be losing sleep and being up all night and doing the huge amount of sound effects editing that he did over the Seven Soldiers episodes during the summer. Mm. He aged visibly over the summer, listeners, I tell you. And it's, and it's all your fault for not getting your lines in on time. You know who you are. <laughs> but Peter has assured me that he's, whilst he's not doing this, he is still putting some sound effects and stuff. And of course, by now, listening to me rabbit on like this on the morning of the 24th of November... You'll have heard the episodes and you'll know, in fact we'll all know by now, just how much sound effects editing Peter did. So let's, everyone, let's take a minute and thank Peter. Well done, Peter. Thank you. Sterling job, putting all the episodes together. I sound sarcastic, I don't mean it, I'm genuinely genuinely humbled. do a great job. The things we do for our listeners. Absolutely. That's Mm. all it's... We do it for the love of comics, don't we? Absolutely, yes. Because we love those Golden Age DC superheroes. Mm. So let's talk about them. Absolutely. So yeah, 107, 108... In a way, it's, it's a loose, similar sort of structure to the, the Seven Soldiers mm-hmm. epic, isn't there? Yeah. Uh-huh. It's, again, team splitting off to yeah. tackle situations and a good mixture of the of the three teams of the yeah. GLA, GSA and the, the Freedom Fighters. And, you know, characters from the past coming back and being brought into mm-hmm. mainstream continuity or the main DC continuity, etc. Mm-hmm. Before we crack on any, any further listeners, I have my copy of Crisis and Multiplast Volume 3 from 2004 here, and I'm going to read a little part of Len Wein's introduction, because he, of course, was the author of JLA 107 108. Mm-hmm. Um, he's just been talking, obviously, at this point about the epic work he did on the, the Seven Soldiers story, and he continues. You see, a year later, I'm still writing the JLA when Julie tells me it's time for the next JLA-JSA crossover and wonders who I intend to add to the mix this time. But, but, that was the book's 100th anniversary issue, I stammer. It was supposed to be special. I never intended to... Sorry, says Julie. Last year's crossover sold like a son of a gun and the readers loved it. Go top yourself. Of course, top yourself (laughs) means something different in in the UK as a vernacular. Mm. I think what Julie would have said there was go and beat your previous achievement. Anyway... Len continues, I was tempted to tell Julie to go top himself, but he was my boss and I loved him. Besides, I loved a challenge more. As a collector, I had always been a fan of the old quality comics line, publishers of Plastic Man and Blackhawk and G.I. Combat and many other favourites from the 1940s until the early 1950s. When quality folded, DC had acquired the rights to their titles and continued publishing several of them, especially the ones I just mentioned. The quality characters seemed the next likely choice for revival. I went through the list of quality characters and settled on the six you're about to meet, including one of my personal favourites, Uncle Sam. But since the quality characters had known their heyday mostly during the Second World War, I contrived a way to set my story in a world where that war had ended very differently. I titled this year's extravaganza Crisis on Earth Swastika Symbol and turned the script into Julie. He loved it, with one small exception. Having lived through World War II, Julie had a rightly understandable antipathy toward the symbol of Nazi tyranny. No story I ever edit will include that symbol in a title, he told me, even as he scratched it out. But after Earth 1, Earth 2, Earth 3 and all the others, it seemed a perfect choice, I argued. 
we can't use the swastika, what do we call the world? Julie thought about it for a moment, then used his pencil to erase each of the crossbars on the swastika. There, he said proudly, Earth X is as good a name as any. The quality characters I dubbed the Freedom Fighters were so well received they went on to earn their own title a few years later, a fact of which I'm still humbly proud. And thus passed another year, and he goes on to talk about the next JLA JSA crossover, which we'll get to probably in a few months. Yes. So, if you said there that the structure is broadly similar in a lot of mm-hmm. ways, what, how do you think this one compares to the Seven Soldiers? There's an awful lot of parallels, an awful lot of parallels, but uh, this seems more condensed, obviously, because it's over two issues. I think the characters in the Seven Soldiers, the actual characters of the Seven Soldiers, were served slightly better than the characters of Freedom Fighters in this one, because apart from Sam, uh, none of them really seem to have much to say or much to do mm. in this story, whereas the Seven Soldiers are a bit more evenly spread, apart from maybe... Speedy, who had like two lines. Yeah. But there's slightly more for them to do, I feel, uh, and they took more part in the plot. Whereas this one, they all seem to be all action, and Sam was doing all of the talking for pretty yeah. much all of them. Trouble I had with it was, and it's not trouble as such, I mean, I enjoyed it, and I think Dick Dillon's art has, not that it had much room to improve, but it's got even tighter than it had done, even than it was the previous year. I think the artwork's a little better in this one. I felt it was a bit repetitive in mm-hmm. as much as. Turn up, they all turn up in their groups and fight a big computer. Yes. You know, yes. the Seven Soldiers was to- told in a broader canvas, uh-huh. a bit more variety. And as you say, the, the guest characters all got a bit more of a mm-hmm. a chance at the mic. Obviously, you know, a huge thanks to Steve for contributing all of Uncle Sam's lines because he had like the most ca- the most lines out of anyone any, in yeah, the story. Any uh-huh. character in the whole story. <laughs> you know, even several folk combined. There's probably actually more lines, definitely, than the rest of his Freedom Fighter colleagues combined. Yes, definitely. Mm-hmm. So, Steve, take a bow. God bless you. Hello, this is friend of the show, Steve Higgins, who has just recently finished portraying Uncle Sam in the JLA-JSA crossover from 107 and 108, introducing Earth-X and the Freedom Fighters. I was first introduced to the characters of the Freedom Fighters in... All-Star Squadron 35, the infamous issue in which Red Bee is killed. Baron Blitzkrieg fights Our Man. I had that issue when I was seven years old. Uh, it came out, and I was very intrigued by this universe where the Nazis had won World War II. But that was really my only exposure to the Freedom Fighters until Who's Who came out the following year, I believe. And I was able to get the issue that discussed those characters, and I read up on who those characters were in full detail. I very much enjoyed being a part of the read-through of these two issues, even though I had a whole lot of narration that I had to do. gave me a greater appreciation for how much of the narration that Peter frequently has to take care of himself during the episodes. And as for the Uncle Sam accent that I used, I was kind of leaning towards a little bit of Benoit Blanc from Knives Out and Glass Onion. And I don't know, kind of an amalgamation of lots of different Southern characters that you become familiar with when you live in the U.S. and watch TV on any kind of regular basis, especially during the 80s. It felt like there were lots of characters that would speak like this on Dukes of Hazzard and other such shows in the 80s. Anyway... That was my uh, Uncle Sam voice, and that's kind of where it came from. I hope people enjoyed, and yeah, thanks for having me back. 
it was quite disappointing way coming back to it and realizing how few lines someone like Black Condor or even you know Phantom Lady has like four lines in the whole yeah four or five lines tops and the uh-huh. whole thing and that's that's an interesting thing is you and I we talked about this quite a lot and the, mm-hmm. the preparation was how compared to the last one it's a complete sausage fest yes like Canary has one line mm-hmm. we'll come we'll come back to that none of the Wonder Women are in this one nope. no appearance from Zatanna or anything nope. they obviously made a bit more of an effort last time and the only female freedom fighter I don't think she speaks a single line in the first part of the story she certainly doesn't her and Dollman I don't think get a line until you know they're up that mountain with Superman and Green Arrow mm-hmm it's funny you should say that because there's someone else who thought similar <laughs> to, to you. I'm sure she did. Uh, let's hear from them now. I'm Christine Bandon and I played Phantom Lady, if you count that as a part. She's a title part. She's got to wear a swimsuit with a cutout. She thrusts black energy from her belly button, apparently. And of the words she says, a quite a significant percentage of them are Green Arrow. I don't think this one's going to pass the Bechtel test. Thank you, Christine. God bless. As a story, I, I, it's a weird one. There's some brilliant artwork, some you know, some stunning artwork mm-hmm. in this one. Mm-hmm. There's some really, really good sort of set piece visuals and stuff. And it's a, li- it's obviously a lot less crowded yeah. than the Seven Soldiers one. You don't have quite as many people standing about not getting a line in the mm-hmm. last few pages. But even so, it's still just two or three characters that are talking. I don't think it's quite as good as, as the Seven Soldiers one. Yeah. Which is unfortunate. I'm not sure about the feeling of jeopardy as much in this story either because you don't really see any civilians apart from the people up in the mountain. Excellent point. When the, when the JLAJS airs appear in the middle of the streets, there is no one to be seen anywhere until the Nazi tanks roll up, which is kind of unusual. You kind of lose a sense of jeopardy if you don't feel that there's a threat there. I know exactly what you mean because part one of the Seven Soldiers obviously is Oracle doing all the setup. Oracle doing all the setup, and you know there's the obvious image of the, the of Earth Two about to be crushed by the giant hand, and we mm. see scenes with civilians in trouble, like yeah. Mister Terrific and Robin rescuing mm-hmm. those kids at the earthquake, and you know yeah. there's a real sense of what's at stake. They've basically just come to arrive. Every, the JLA and JSA mm-hmm. have basically just arrived on another Earth, and. They're teaming up to the locals, the local superheroes, the indigenous superheroes, yeah. fight the Nazis that won World which is fine on its own, but you're uh-huh. right. If they'd maybe been able to show a little bit more of how bad things were on that world. Yeah, uh-huh. to establish the menace. Yeah, all we really get is a massive info dump from Sam mm-hmm. or Steve doing his best Foghorn Leghorn impression. <laughs> boy, I say boy. Yeah. So yes, listeners, that, that's a bit of chat there. We're now going to work our way through the story, just you know, discussing any sort of key points that, mm-hmm. that come to us, and we'll we'll do the the contemporary correspondence in a little while as we go. So JLA one hundred and seven published fifth of June nineteen seventy three, part one. We don't need Peter to tell us, but the cover he's done it already. The really exciting thing about this story, of course, was it is the debut, as we mentioned before, of the Transmaster device and the Transmaster machine, the vehicles, as it were, mm. to allow transportation between the two Earths, and indeed others. Yes, I'd like to know who it was that who it was that built them. Mm-hmm. Presumably, there must have been some transdimensional cooperation, exchange of blueprints, whatever you know, that sort of thing. Yeah, perhaps someone reverse engineered the Fiddler's portable vibrator that he had uh, back in the very first JLA-JSA crossover. And indeed, remember the Golden Age Atom, uh, Al Pratt, he had one as well to enable him to transfer between the two. That's true. Mm. And of course, significantly, there's no sign of either of the atoms in this story. I bet they were probably both heavily involved. Who's the most scientifically brained? Yeah, both atoms are bound to have been involved with this. Maybe maybe Alan Scott as an engineer. Mm -hmm. Hawkman with his Thanagarian knowledge. Science and all that. Starman, Mm. probably, I would imagine. Yeah, Mm mm-hmm. 
Interesting. Interesting. Jinx. Hey. So yeah, the heroes assemble the first couple of pages. Nice to see Jay Garrick back because he wasn't in the the last crossover. Mm-hmm. We haven't seen Jay for a long time. When's the last time we saw him? Was it that Oof. solo? No, it'd have been last. It would have been the the story with Vandal Savage uh-huh. a few months ago. Mm-hmm. That weird one. <laughs> and of course, the Superman of Earth Two is present, and he's quite a lot to do in this story. He also wasn't in the Seven Soldier story, but had taken part in the 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 one in ninety one ninety two with Solomon Grundy and that little lost alien child. So it's. I was really quite impressed with how much Superman was involved in this one. Yeah, but it's weird because he seemed to have vanishing and uh, reappearing grey temples in this one. <laughs> it wasn't hugely consistent uh, throughout, which is quite nice to show the ageing, but it's very inconsistent through the colouring. Yeah, I know. It's, it's. I mean, you sort of think like Dylan probably left white patches, which might have been coloured in blue mm-hmm. or what have you. I don't know. We'll have to. We'll have to. Let's keep a running tally. <laughs> but yeah, nice to see our man and Sandman. Mm-hmm. It's like some some faves there, and of course we get some pages of Sad Sack Red Tornado. Yes, <sighs> so bored of Red Tornado. Back from the dead. Yes, as, you know, as mm. we obviously discussed elsewhere. Yes, Starman pops up for one panel, which is fun. Maybe that's just to oversee the transmitter could yeah. be built. It could be. It's funny because like, there's only five of them sat around the table in the first sort of story page, mm-hmm. and then when three of them beam off, obviously they need someone else to stand behind Jane next to Rex, and it's quite cool. Ted's there, so we got obviously thanks to to Ross from Stop Let's Team Up, etc., from yes. coming back and doing a great job of Starman being silent for that one panel, <laughs> and also for doing for doing Jay Garrick for us this time. Yeah, that was fantastic, superb. Um, and also thanks to Kenny, my colleague on the Power of Three, for giving his Barry Allen flash this time round, mm-hmm. and massive thanks to to Max and Rich, the Weird Warriors, for returning as Elongated Man and the Sandman. Yes. I don't know if I've said this on the record yet. I don't think I have. When we did the Seven Soldiers wrap-up, I hadn't heard the episode yet, so I can state categorically and firmly that Max's performance to Ralph Dibney was my favourite guest performance in the whole damn story. Gosh. It was that line of it. Um, <laughs> let me try and find it, because it was great and it really made me laugh. Oh yeah, a terrific opening, Doc, but it'll never replace the door. That made me laugh <laughs> out loud. So yes, yes, Max. Max, you're going to be playing Ralph for perpetuity. <laughs> you, <laughs> you have won the Earth 2A for best actor yes. in a supporting role. <laughs> but obviously everyone else is amazing because obviously Chuck came back as oh, Ollie. Yes. He's nailing it once again. Again, Chuck was tremendous in his efforts. In fact, everyone was tremendous in their efforts. Like, mm-hmm. I, mean, I don't want to. It's not fair to pick out Max as a, as a real favourite, but obviously everyone really committed and went for it. So it's this is one of the the good things about this story because I can't remember how much we talked about doing this one ourselves or getting guest stars involved. Did we just did we when did we start talking about that? I can't remember. Fairly shortly after the Seven Soldiers one, yeah, to be honest. The crow flies. They are. Mm-hmm. Quite, they have been quite close together. Yeah, because yeah. there's not a huge amount of multi-dimensional stuff or legacy stuff in between them yeah which made me tear my hair out slightly but that's yes, fine I know, I know. <laughs> that's what I was saying about not wanting you to spend ages in mm. effects but yeah it was just lucky that, that Ralph, Ollie and, and Wesley all came back because and that Max and Rich and Chuck were all up for doing it again so we're very grateful and of course Kelly came back as Black Canary for one whole line one whole line thank you uh, Kelly yes God bless you <laughs> We'll hopefully hear from Kayla later on because she had, she has a very pertinent comment to make about one development in the story so yeah, the heroes all assemble and they find out that they've ended up on this earth because of Blooming Red Tornado getting in the way. Yeah, 
I do love Superman. He almost seems to be thrilled at fighting Nazis again. Oh, yes. I made a note of that as well. But I cut my baby teeth in skunks like you. It's great stuff. Yeah, he looks delighted. Mm -hmm. The flying battering ram sort of goat's head thing reminded me of something from the Crimson Avenger World's Finest story we did years ago. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. I seem to remember something similar striking him then at one point. Yeah, there was. uh So that was a nice little throwback. And Mm -hmm. of course, everyone's getting stuck into the Nazis. I can't wait to hear the top of page seven without (laughs) everyone else doing all the lines. Uh, Rich's Sandman in that is great. Cool. It does feel proper nostalgia fest. Right, okay. Superb. (laughs) See, this isn't fair, listeners, and that one. I've not heard it yet. And Chuck gives the perfect uh, Green Arrow delivery of his line as well. It's it's so good. Everyone in this is perfect. Thank you again to everyone. Yep. The Freedom Fighters arrive on on page eight. So again, we've mentioned him already, but thanks to our Steve for giving his Uncle Sam. Mm. And we got Shag Matthews and Brandon Peters back. Yay! They'd been metamorpho and what? Who did Brandon? He was Sylvester Pemberton. He was Star, Star Spanquid, Snapper Car, and Alan Scott Green Lantern last time. So he did. Brandon did the Ray for us this time, mm-hmm. and Shag was the human bomb. So thanks both of you very much for, for taking the time to do that. Again, both outstanding performances. Both very busy gentlemen. So mm-hmm. <laughs> thank you for taking the time and making the time to do it with a million and one things going on. Yeah, and of course, as we say, we got Christine to, to play Phantom Lady for us this time. So again, thanks, Christine. Who ended up doing Dollman and Black Condor? I can't remember. I was Dollman, you were Black Condor. Oh, right, okay. That's there we fine. are. <laughs> I love the panel of Sam flipping the tank. Yeah, there's a certain satisfaction from it, isn't there? Yeah, you know, his, his whole his whole shtick is that he's the you know the embodiment of mm-hmm. of the American spirit. So yeah. actually, I kind of half reread the issue of Secret Origins he was in uh-huh. the other week when I was like photographing that one and the the Black Condor one to post on the socials. It's, it's fascinating, Uncle. Given the state of the world at the moment, it's fascinating to th- consider a character like Uncle Sam yeah. the way he's been represented only fifty years ago. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. fascinating. Mm-hmm. Terrifying thing in 1973 is 50 years ago. Yeah, what what would he make of a lot of things in America right now, I wonder? He'd be a very divided person. I think mm. most people would be. One of the things I love about that panel in particular is the background. You've got a classic yeah. like Cameron Infantino-style cityscape in the background. Yeah. Very simple, but just to give you the idea of, yeah, of it being there, it's great. Yeah, Sam, it's, it's very interesting, him you know, sort of being there and the tarnation and all that sort of thing and yeah. the Yankee Doodle sort of look and it's fascinating. I mean, I remember like an issue of the Spectre, actually over a few issues of the Spectre, the John mm-hmm. Strander run when he did something with us where Uncle Sam was basically sort of re-embodied. Yeah. As mm-hmm. a sort of, I can't remember what he called it. It's a weird sort of very Patriot image looking type. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. Weird image type looking character but then of course Uncle Sam was sort of revived in the Freedom Fighters yeah. fairly soon after and mm-hmm. I think still kind of cuts about I haven't read any of the modern Freedom Fighters series but I've been I do have them all. I mean, I just got annoyed. Why should I make the effort when they got killed off at the start of Thingy Crisis so badly? The Robert Venditti Freedom Fighter series is phenomenal. You should read that. I know, I know. I probably will. It's so good. So yes, Sam gets a nice big long speech, or Steve got a nice big long speech, to over pages 10 and 11. And the significant thing in page 10, of course, is the panel where Sam mentions some other heroes, some other some other men who were friends. And we see images of the Blackhawks and Plastic Man. Mm-hmm. Let's crack our knuckles and delve into this. Okay. Blackhawk, the last time we had Blackhawk on the, the pod was when we did the Human Bomb episode, obviously. But uh-huh. The only previous Blackhawk story we'd done, and this one that Peter suggested, because with us, I think, thinking long term, it was, a, it was a really good one to do. We did the three issues of Blackhawk, circa issue 227. Mm-hmm where the Blackhawks were having a sort of midlife crisis and worried about their <laughs> their sense or their place in the modern world. And mm-hmm. they were working alongside and sort of, well, not working alongside, but encountered the Justice League. Yes. Which at that point very much placed them on Earth One. It most certainly did. 
But here we are on another Earth, which gets identified as Earth X, a different one from Earth 1, and we see that there are some Blackhawks on here as well. So that's quite an interesting thing that Len's done here. He's sort of, is he mm. basically just suggesting that all the old quality stories that Blackhawk were in were on this Earth? Seems to be. Of course, the Blackhawk book wasn't being published at this point. No. It'll be revived again fairly soon, mm -hmm. but it's been up, it's not been getting published for about, what, five or six years, I think, maybe at this yeah. point? Something like that. Well, interestingly, when DC bought quality comics, Blackhawk was one of the few exactly. comics that actually continued publishing. Yeah. Blackhawk was continued with issue 108. G.I. Combat yeah. carried on. Heartthrobs. books, wasn't it? Yep. Yeah. Heartthrobs and uh, Robin Hood Tales yeah. lasted for a little bit longer. Yeah, G.I. Combat, of course, lasted up to the 80s. But these were the only two characters, uh, the Blackhawks and Plastic Man, that DC have actually published from quality. I, uh, and that's why I think uh, they've been put in here. Although they, it has been stated that they're dead in this world. Yeah, well, that's what brings us to the next one, an even messier one to try. And, and I think we should bear this in mind because there's going to be other, at least one other Blackhawk story we're going to do. Mm -hmm. There's a brave and bold issue with, him, with them and Batman. So when we get to that one, we'll have to pay close attention to what Earth that sort of stated as being yeah. on. Because I think that, I'm pretty sure that one's set on Earth too, which means mm -hmm. there were Blackhawks on three different Earths. Yeah. <laughs> But Plastic Man, because I can't even remember what we decided with Plastic Man, because obviously the last time we saw him was an issue of Brave and the Bold. Mm -hmm. I think last time we did a story with him before that was another Brave and the Bold. I think we did three issues of his ongoing. Yeah. And can you remember what we decided? Did it's... we decide there was an Earth 1 version and probably another one as well? There's an Earth 1 version for sure. Because and... he, he teams up with the contemporary Batman in the pages of Brave and the Bold. Uh -huh. Yeah. And there's also like uh, the funny book. Yes. Worlds where like the Inferior 5 and everything kind of yeah. lives. Well, uh, he's maybe, on, he's on yeah. that, yeah. Oh, well, no, he pops up in an issue of Inferior 5, didn't he? Yeah. That's right, that, mm. I remember that now, of course, because that's what made us think that that was all mm -hmm. taking place in the same... Yeah, and of course there's postulations elsewhere that the Inferior 5 are on Earth 12, but that's all... My, I'd, I think I decided that was all circumstantial. <laughs> but, I mean, taking this on face value basically means there's been... There was another Plastic Man mm -hmm. altogether from... No, was there, was it not the case that we decided that second Brave and Bold story we did? Was he not the original having retired, or was that his son or something? The son was the one who had his own series. Yes. Because remember his dad came in later on. Yeah, and that's said right. One and the old folks' home and stuff, yeah. And it was confusing within all that, because they did yeah. an issue with three different versions of the origin. Yeah. You see, listeners, this is why we're doing this podcast, <laughs> to keep track of all, try and keep track of all this yes. inconsistency. And we, can, and we can barely remember it ourselves. Exactly. No. I mean, because who has time to go back and listen to all the episodes? <laughs> You know, this is what we're approaching our 190th. And again, this is where I say I thought we'd be finished by now. Yes. <laughs> the original plan. But this is this is a fascinating thing that Sam's basically a lot of a lot more men than had than had to died fighting for the cause of freedom. Mm -hmm. Good men and true they were, and some of them were friends. So that at least is alluding that these six heroes are the only ones left out of all the quality characters. Does yeah. that, you know, does that, mm -hmm. Are they saying this, you know, that that Quicksilver died, that Mouthpiece died? Unless there's another other all factions. Those other lads. Could be other factions in different cities, you know, like led factions. By factions. That's a sales. Freedom cells, fighter sales. Okay. Prefer sales. Don't okay. like factions. <laughs> that sounds because that suggests that they're not on the same page. Mm. But yeah, there could be one led by the Dan Richards Manhunter. Oh my god, that by... means the Nazis probably killed Thor. No. Oh, right. I resign. <laughs> Podcast. I'm still not over all the animals that died in the Mister Who episode. Oh gosh, yes. Which, uh -huh. as we record, was released yesterday, <laughs> and that was another cracker. Again, thanks to everyone involved in that one. Mm -hmm. No, it's it's very interesting. Very, very interesting. Of course, then we get the, the full page reintroducing the the heroes who are there. Lovely panel from Dick Dillon. Yep. Then we get to the point where they all start divvying up to go off and do the things that they're going to do. Yeah, but I love the fact that Dr. Fate basically rummages about some boxes and finds a broken crystal ball. Yeah. 
Yeah. It just happens to be in the Freedom Fighters headquarters. Yeah. I got the sense that when he says this pitiful excuse for a crystal ball, I mean, is that a bowling ball or something that he's reconfigured or something? Is that he... would have been cool. That's what I sort of took it. Because I took it as soon as he picked it up, he was he was remoulding it or reshaping it mm. or something. But it's that, that brilliant panel on page 12 where Sam's conversing with Oliver and in the background, Dr. Fate's, you know, on his haunches going through boxes. Yeah. That's hilarious. <laughs> bin raker, bin raker. Uh-huh. I'm still not entirely clear what they were. So, you know, mind control machines, that was it, wasn't it? Because, yes. because you see, listeners, because when we did the recording, we only really paid attention to the dialogue that we had to say. <laughs> when we just let blah, 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 for the bits where, where Pete would cut in what Steve had recorded. So a lot of the, inf- the plot information when we recorded, I wasn't really paying attention to because I was just trying to tell the story mm. as it was going along and guide it and do the lines for the people I was doing. So basically, instead of scattering through time to find seven soldiers, they're scattering all over the the earth to go and blow up three mind control machines. So there's that great panel on page 13 Mm -hmm. where they're all looking at the crystal ball and you see Mount Rushmore and the volcano and and the Eiffel Tower, Mm -hmm. which is amazing, quite frankly. I love that sort of stuff. Although it's not the reveal of Hitler's face in Mount Rushmore in that picture. No, we'll get to that obviously Mm -hmm. in the next the next episode I think I made the comment when we recorded that the shot of them all being divvied up and getting beamed off looked like the, the game board from Doctor Who the Five Doctors yes certainly did which so. is I'm pushing my specs back up into view there as about as geeky as we'll get this week <laughs> interesting that the way they're all lined up on page 13 is not the teams that arrive etc mm-hmm. mm-hmm. and I love that Red Tornado everyone's like you just wait here Red Tornado. Yes, they... you just hold their coats Red Tornado we're yes. off to do this yes because they don't like him either it's not just me <laughs> that thinks he's crap I don't know, he just automatically becomes much more interesting when he gets that new uniform. Mm-hmm. I don't know, like, we've talked about this before, the issue JLA 170, or the green cover with the kid getting attacked by the yeah, monster. Uh-huh. I remember having that as a little boy and just thinking that Red Tornado was amazing. Yeah, that's kind of like when he has a bit of a personality change and gets his confidence, he gets his mojo. But after that, it's kind of dropped. It's one of these things that comes and goes. It's like every now and then sure. they just think, right, Red Tornado, he's a sad sack, so we'll just write him this yeah. way. He's basically Marvin the Paranoid Android. Uh-huh. That's how he's kind of written quite a lot of the time. Yeah. And so we arrive then, flicking through page 14, as Batman, Doctor Fate, the Ray and the Human Bomb all get to go to Paris. Yay! Which is, I think, the ideal moment to hear from our Kelly Blair. Hello, my name's Kelly and I played Black Canary in two episodes of the Earth 2 podcast, The Seven Soldiers of Victory and Freedom Fighters. It was an absolute pleasure to be asked by Dave and Peter to join them. The only thing that I found a bit of a challenge was the director's notes that told me that Black Canary had to be played with a southern accent. I'm no actress, and this was a bit of a challenge. In one of the more recent releases of the Air 2 podcast, the Justice League head off to Paris, but unfortunately this time, Black Canary's not invited on the adventure. So I would like to think of Black Canary at home with her feet up, and she's listening to the Presque Parisienne podcast produced by myself and my friend, where we talk about the cultural differences and the stereotypes of life in Paris. And you can listen to us on Spotify and on Apple. You'll find us on Instagram at Prescaprisian Podcast. It's been an absolute pleasure working with Dave and Peter, and I hope that I can return as Black Canary really soon. Thank you, Kels. And do check out Kelly and Delara's podcast. It's fascinating. I'm a big one for sort of like other cultures and stuff and it's really, really interesting sort of hearing about France and Paris from the point of view of a couple of people that aren't from there. It's very, very interesting. I'm not just saying that because my pal, you should really check it out. 
It's really good. Now, this image of the rain, the human bomb, and Dr. Fate and Batman all looking up at the... I think that is my favourite panel in the whole story. Mm -hmm. I love the blend of colours from their costumes and the dark sky. And yeah. the, the, the towers, obviously... I mean, has it been overgrown? Is it in a, a slight state of disrepair? It looks kind of like almost rusted, rotten metal and jagged edges, as if yeah. there's been some sort of conflict there. I maybe. wasn't sure if there was meant supposed to be like, you know, weeds or something grown off it. Mm. I don't know. I mean, or maybe it's just frozen ice. I don't know. Maybe it's meant to be winter. I don't know. But I love the shot, just the contrast, the sort of deep purple sky and the yellow beams sort of splitting off the top. It's, mm -hmm. it's tremendous. And the artwork over the next few pages is probably—it's probably my favourite segment, to be honest. Yeah. From 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 an artwork point of view mm -hmm. and colouring, because the brightness of Doctor Fate and Human Bomb and and the ray contrasting against the the darkness around that's going—it looks tremendous. Batman climbing up the side of the tower—it's just phenomenal. Mm -hmm. I really really love this, and I can't wait to hear Brandon versus the Nazis. Quite frankly, <laughs> yeah, miles away at this point. <laughs> what next week? I'll get to hear it. I think. I really, really like this chapter. Yeah, one of my favourite things about this chapter is when the ray flies up, takes out the Nazis at the top of the tower, and then casually shouts down from the top of the Eiffel Tower, hey guys, come on up, as if they could hear him from the top of the Eiffel Tower. Exactly. <laughs> I find that hilarious. You've been, have you been at the very top of the Eiffel Tower? Yeah. I've only been halfway up. Ah, okay, cool. Maybe the next time I go, I'll try and get to the top. Mm -hmm. I, I seem to remember the time when Gareth and I were over in 98, like, I think we couldn't get to the top. Okay. The point of the day we were there, I don't think it was open, something mm. like that. It was night time, I don't remember why. Maybe there was something going on. Well, when I was there, we went You were to... doing your whole city of death thing, weren't you? Yes, yeah, so I was <laughs> reciting lines wearing Tom Baker's scarf. Of course. For my 50th birthday doing... City of Death quotes, that was fine. Absolutely. Also bumped into the actor Christopher Maloney. Although he was with his family, so I kind of like left him to it. That's fine. From Law and Order, SVU, All right. Organised Crime, I and uh, the adaptation of Grant Morrison's Happy. I see. I don't watch Law and Order. So, but I imagine that was very exciting very for you. That's pretty cool. At least I'm 95% certain it was Christopher Maloney. Right. He was there with his family and didn't want to go over and say, excuse me, you're I've Christopher Maloney. When I was in London this year that I walked past Stanley Tucci in FP. Oh, okay, cool. I'm sure it was him. Mm. It was that way. I'd walked past him and I thought, you can't walk back and lean around and look in someone's face <laughs> to see that it's them. I'm normally quite lucky for that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. Like the time I bumped into Dave Morrissey on Oxford Street, or the time I bumped into Mark Gates, or the time I bumped into a lad that played Billy Piper's dad in Doctor Who. And or Peter Capaldi, just off George Square. I know, and then Karen Gillan outside that cinema in Edinburgh that time. And Anyway, <laughs> some brilliant panels in this story, which I'm looking at it now, like a week before the, the episode drops. Mm -hmm. I can't wait. There's a few in here that I'm going to pull out and with all the sound effects going on and get a tweet out of. Yeah. This is an interesting thing. They're at the top of the Eiffel Tower. Mm -hmm. Human bomb blows a hole in the wall or something. And then suddenly they're in this massive, massive, massive chamber. cave cavern type thing that appears to be, you know. Now, is there room for that at the top of the Eiffel Tower? Or is there a is there some kind of dimensional relocation type thing? It's not very clear, is it? There isn't, but uh, Batman does mention it, saying this chamber is countless times larger than it appears from outside. That's right. Hmm. I wonder if that was a line just put into kind of fudge it. It's like, hang on, <laughs> wait a minute. This isn't going to fit behind this tiny yeah. door. What do we think of the design of the computer? I love it. It's <laughs> hilarious. Yeah, it reminds me very much of the giant computer from the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, Deep Thoughts. I can see that. And also a bit of computer thrown in there from the Legion of Superheroes. Yeah. <sighs> computer voices, yes. This one gets a bit dry for me in a way. I mean, I like the scenes of them fighting the four different shaded beasties, which, you know, and as we said, Dr. Fate is still using these lightning bolts. Mm -hmm. He hasn't he's yet to switch to Egyptology, which is fascinating because he's been back since 1961 and he's still <laughs> throwing lightning bolts. Mm -hmm. So all those retcons that show him using Anks for his magic, you know, yeah. get them. Tell. I see this is my favourite chapter because it's, it's all, oh, here's the thing. 
I think Terry Nation read some of this when he was writing Death to the Daleks. <laughs> you know, here's a giant computer. Let's manifest yes. some antibodies to stop the heroes. Uh-huh. Yeah. You know, because basically there are four golems that appear that can yeah. counter each of their abilities. Yeah. I do love the one that's uh, attacking Batman because Batman says creatures built like the world's biggest sumo wrestler and it's rooted to the ground. Can't spring its hold on me and it's breaking my back. 20 years before Bane does it. Ooh. For real. What do you think of that, Logan? Gasp. Not bad. Gasp. 20 years before. That's, I, I don't think it even occurred to me. And it's, it's interesting. Presumably they all would have been quite weighty enough to break Batman's back if it came to it. That's true. That's true. Uh, Although this one obviously has massive sumo wrestler skills. Yes. yes. My other favourite panel in this story is the one, panel three and page 21, which is the one after the the, the Angle Poise lamp attacks them, but it's mm-hmm. that shot of them all screaming. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's a reaction meme if ever there was one. It looks like they're all at a silent disco and there's been a bit of uh, feedback. Yeah. Um, <laughs> or it's like they've just heard the latest rumour about missing Doctor episodes. <laughs> you know? Or they don't want to hear the new theme tune. Yes. That's that's the thing that we've both uh, come across. I've picked up in snippets, but I don't feel I've got a sense of it no, yet. No, me too. Which is good. Mm-hmm. Which is good. Just tomorrow, in fact, the, the first DT episode goes out. <gasps> Exciting. Mm-hmm. So yes, obviously they beat the computer. I'm not really sure how. It's human bomb that blows it up because yeah. you know his power. Although they're all acting out together, they can overcome and become a mental entity as one. The computer was sitting in but in some deep conscious, ah, uh, deep subconscious level, a cord yeah. is struck. So I mean, I don't know. Is that some? Maybe it's some kind of feedback yeah. thing from what it's trying to do. Well, Batman says we fell under the Mendry's control and we completed it by reflex action. Ah, of course, so, so he does. Are. Well, I didn't do I didn't do the Batman or Doctor Fate line, so I was not paying. Or the Ray of the I did. Did I do anyone's lines in that? <laughs> I don't think I think it just did the computer, didn't I? Mm. So I wasn't paying attention to anything anyone else was saying whilst we were recording this one because I was just waiting to hear it. Then we cut back to the JLA and JSAers who are worried about their missing colleagues. Yes, and our pal Gavin playing <laughs> Hal Jordan gets the end of episode acting. I know. What if they're already dead? I can't wait to hear it. <laughs> did, he, did he record it in his mum's under? the stairs covered again this time he may have done in his uh, special uh, recording booth that he has yes mm, but fantastic anytime anytime we, that we saw Gav in the last couple of weeks it was like have you recorded your lines yet have you rec- <laughs> so, didn't, no I haven't I'm going to do it right okay see him a couple of days later have you recorded your lines yet no I'm going to do it right so Gav we love you you do Gav yes. honestly God bless you <laughs> the the prize for who didn't record the lines till the last possible minute goes to but it's not to Gav no we're not going to say because that's not fair no that's <laughs> who did we have to chase two months after we sent him the pages mm. anyway yeah Ross getting a couple more lines as Jay Garrick there mm-hmm. which is fun mm-hmm. Ross had me on again recently for another episode of his Opal City Confidential project as I'd pointed out to him that Ted Knight and the Mister appeared in the Sandman Misty Theatre arc so we had a, a really good chat about that series in general and mm-hmm. The way that the edgy sort of blurred on DC continuity around that yes. period between like, the mainstream DC continuity and Vertigo and all that sort of stuff. That and came how... out this week. It's a very good episode. Thank yeah. you very kindly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is the thing, listeners. Because it's the, the Doctor Who anniversary this month, Kenny's been putting out daily episodes of, of The Power of Three. Mm-hmm. And I, I sat down last night and worked out that it's theoretically possible in this month of November 2023 to listen to a different podcast every day with me on it. <laughs> <laughs> and then some there might even be a couple more to to tage into December. There we are. So between the five episodes of E2 that'll be out this month mm-hmm. and at least one Opal City Confidential and I think there's maybe four or five tops episodes of Power 3 that I'm not on. So yes, 
I'm sick of go. my own voice, listeners. I don't know if any of you are. You're sick of it. You don't have to edit it. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I know. It reminds me of like when I was still doing my, my Doctor Who Radio Times covers his profile pictures on Facebook when you know a few years ago, my friend Daniel. Daniel Horner illustration, because Dan had some had a, an iPad Pro and some brilliant software. He did a few of the images for me and I posted on Facebook one night, full shot in your own face, never stops being boring. And Daniel said, think of all those other poor buggers. <laughs> so Ross, Peter and, and Kenny have had to edit me talking for the last month. Yeah, my sympathies. Yes. Mm. So Gav got the big close up at the end of the episode. High drama. That's the equivalent of Peter Davison getting the, the cliffhanger at the end of part one of Dimensions in Time. <laughs> or basically the end of part one of any Colin Baker episode. Yes. Perry! <laughs> I think it's it does a reasonable job of setting the stakes up part one there. Uh-huh. And as I say, I, I love the, the blend of colours and art and stuff in that first yeah. chapter. I think it's I think part one's probably stronger. Yeah. Uh-huh. I think. Mm-hmm. Even though it's the one with all the exposition, because it is quite an interesting setup. It's a mm-hmm. it's an interesting thing to think about. It's a common thing in fiction is what if the Nazis had won. Yeah, that's you know, true. It's quite interesting that, that Len thought of that as a way of bringing these characters in. It's, it's, it's quite it's quite clever. Shall we do the contemporary correspondence on this issue then? I think we should do the contemporary correspondence for this issue now. Skipping ahead now to issue 110 for the JLA Mailroom. So we're not going to do all the letters, because not all of them are relevant to the story, but the first one we are going to do goes like this. Dear Editor, I've read about 80 JLA stories in my lifetime, and Crisis on Earth X was the best yet. First off, we didn't have to go through two-thirds of the story to introduce the characters. And for the first time in a long time, we didn't have to bear Earth-1 and Earth-2 counterparts complementing each other in every panel. There were two characters that roughened the smoothness of the story. Red Tornado was the first. Here we have a pessimistic android gaily shouting, Forgive me, my fault, all my fault. That kind of dialogue cheers me up. I'm sure Len Wein has good intentions, but a human should have an inferiority complex, not an android. I also like Dr. Fate, but not this time. Oh, heck, I can be optimistic, you know. Dick Dillon's art was really good this issue, especially his drawing of the Batman on page 16. Keep him as long as you can. The plot was exceptionally original in that the Nazis are downright the guys you love to hate. They should have that in business cards. Nazis, the guys you love to hate. No, they shouldn't. They shouldn't (laughs) be given anything whatsoever. I appreciate the return of the Freedom Fighters. It's actually the debut, technically, but never mind. Black Condor in particular. The Freedom Fighters show some promise, but I don't think any of them should join the GLA or GSA or even leave Earth-X. <clears throat> Stay tuned. So, mm. I have reached page 23 to find Green Lantern ending this chapter on a pessimistic note. You see, I'm not alone. And that's from Clint Thomas. No relation to Roy, I don't think. Although Roy would probably write him in as a relation to him. From Oak Hill in West Virginia. Ah, that's what WV are right, I see. Okay. I liked how he said that he liked Dr. Fate, but didn't really go into details as why he didn't like him this time. I thought he was <laughs> terrific in this. Mm. No. Anyway, editorial response. The two subjects most frequently commented on letters of JLE 107 were the Red Tornado's role in the story and that sensational shot of Batman on page 16. And of course, we can always count another classic Guy Wire to raise those same points and offer other lucid remarks as well. Our favourite, Euron. And that leads us to the next letter, which goes like this. Dear Editor, keep it short in inverted commas, keep it short Lillian, letter space is golden. Which is obviously, yes, that's obviously a reference to himself. Right, very well then. I'll just comment briefly on Crisis and Earth X. I'll say that I applaud the use of obscure superheroes from a defunct competitor in JLA 107, that Uncle Sam, the bomb and the rest impressed me with that Golden Age flavour of the 40s, and that Len Wein, who is barely old enough to remember the Golden Age, if that old, 
performed a masterful feat of verisimilitude in making them come alive for us, the kids of the original readers, the original fans. Len turned this treatise with a neat modus operandi. The four listed heroes were World War II good guys who spent most of their comics lives battling Nazis. They'd be out of place doing anything else, Wayne realised, so he brought that overt menace of the 40s into Earth X's 70s. The portrayal of a world wherein Germany triumphed in the Second World War has always been an interesting SF theme, and Len did a good job with it here. He also wrote some very fine individual scenes. Batman, Doctor Fate and the two Earth X costumeries destroying the Kraut computer by reflex action after their consciousnesses had been stripped away, and the neat scene where Superman of Earth 2 snarls, I cut my baby teeth on skunks like you during the first fight with the modern Panzers. I got a real flash of World War II American snort stomp machismo from that panel. Yeah, we did too. Delightful for its antiquity and admirable for what it was and what it did. Besides which, I think it still moves down deep in every one of us who loathes depotism whether from a swastika uniform or a brown serge suit. Right on. Dick Dillon, an artist I've really come to admire, gave us a great panel on page 16 as Batman clambered <laughs> up the side of the ruined Eiffel Tower, scaring the half-wits out of the German soldiers. Corny, but very neatly done. I've recently had the privilege of seeing some of Dillon's pencils before inking and was astounded at the amount of detail therein. And Dick Giordano is one of the finest creative minds and brushes in the business. Too true. Things wrong, open brackets, and there are always things wrong. I'm very tired of the Red Tornado's martyr act. Throw him some zing into his character or say if the letter hack, kill him off again. I agree with that. Final judgment and this story will have to wait, of course, for the next issue and the day no more. But I expect to be writing another letter like this one at story's end, saying the basic, good work, keep it up, on which no critic has ever been able to improve. And that's from Guy H. Lillian III, Lewiston, New York. We've heard from him before, I'm sure I recognise mm-hmm. the name. Editorial response to Guy Reads. Did he say briefly? Well... Guys write about letter call space, though it is golden, which is why anything more we would say would only be gilding the Lillian. <sighs> In that case, onward, says Editor Marty Pasco. Of course, it's two pages of letters because they've got the 100 page issues at the moment, so we've mm-hmm. got a wee bit more room. I say we're not going to do them all, but Peter's going to read the next one. Dear Editor, Len Wein seems to believe in reviving old superheroes most of us have never heard of, as the six Fawcett superheroes in JLA 107. Hmm, slight error there. I think it is unfortunate that this particular story will run two issues. In general, the modern heroes are better than the old ones, and the four issues left before the next team-up are not enough to give them adequate development. The story is common enough, but Len Wein is handling it beautifully. He has chosen an interesting way to split up the unwieldy Justice League, which is too large to operate as a unit. I suspect the good guy's mysterious victory in this issue was once again caused by the Red Tornado. The Dylan Giordano art was excellent as usual, only I think Dylan has trouble drawing machinery. The JLA has acquired three new members in the last year. This is good. I hope the JLA grows to an even larger umbrella organisation in the coming year. You should not feel obligated to use every member in every issue, but give each some space over a series of issues. The Elongated Man is a long overdue member. The new Red Tornado is great. Keep him. The Phantom Stranger obviously cannot join in every case, but he could help in a mystery type story every year. There are several other DC characters who deserve membership because of their popularity, longevity, and intrinsic interest, like Metamorpho, Mr. Miracle, and Deadman. Well, they're still about 14, 15 years away from Metamorpho and Mr. Miracle becoming (laughs) members, aren't they? That's quite interesting. Mm -hmm. Letter continues. May I suggest that you try a two-issue undersea JLA Spectacular Spotlighting Aquaman, perhaps with a view to testing the water before relaunching his own magazine, and that's from Michael Sloan from Briarcliff Manor, New York. That's some very interesting ideas there, actually. Mm-hmm. Spotlighting several things, several characters, and yeah, 
Interesting. Because he's saying there's too many to throw into every story, but yeah, if, you, right, if you focus on each, yeah. Then, yeah. And the editorial response to Michael's letter here, which I think could have been fixed, it's probably unnecessary, a little bit of editing would have yeah. been fine, mm-hmm. reads, Information note, the Freedom Fighters, as we've called them, were originally published by the Quality House, not Fawcett. And as for Aquaman testing his water wings, watch the seas around Adventure Comics sometime in the future. Yeah, that's interesting because the Spectre's just about to start appearing in the Adventure Comics. Yes, yeah, interesting. It's a while away before that's Aquaman a good while before Arthur Adventure, comes yeah. back. But yeah, I think that's a bit churlish to point out that yeah. Michael got the publication. You know, it's, if it's, uh-huh. it's a bit harsh. Yeah, it's a mistype or a miswrite. Misremembered. Yeah. yeah, they could have just fixed that to Quality Comics themselves mm-hmm. and saved them the the typing. Oh yeah. well, not to worry. So the the next relevant letter we're going to do reads like this: Dear Editor, why oh why? As they used the same points of view, did Len Wein feel he had to give the quality heroes an earth of their own? It seems so foolish to go to such extremes. Now readers can find themselves eternally discombobulated. I'm always discombobulated, knowing that somehow there exist three different Earths, all orbiting somewhere in the DC solar system, Earth 1, Earth 2, and now Earth X. They've got that wrong. I'm not mm. all in the same solar system. No. And we've already been to several other Earths <laughs> by <laughs> many, this point. Many, many, many ones. Yes. Okay, pay attention, Scott Gibson. I'm sure it would have been no great task to work out some more original and plausible reason to fit the Freedom Fighters, as you now call the quality characters, into the annual JLA-JSA rendezvous. Well, I can't think of any, quite frankly, (laughs) unless they were going to be frozen in time, like Mm -hmm. buried underneath Berlin, like in the 12 or something. Mm. The story was good, despite the addition of another entire Earth to the joint, but it's become so pressing to create new and more exciting topics for the JLA-JSA team-ups, perhaps it's time... You discontinue the series and allow the Justice Society to slide back into limbo? <gasps> Otherwise, should we plan on next year's venture consisting of a trip to Earth Z, where the JLA meets all the old Fawcett heroes? <laughs> That's from Scott Gibson, Sterling, Colorado. Well, actually, Scott, give it another few years and you'll meet Earth S. Yes. Mm. That's, a, that's a bizarre take, isn't it? Yeah, this is rather peculiar. Mm. Because you know, well, it's, it's interesting because they're not really doing much else with the Golden Age guys at this point. No, that's true. That's the true. editorial response then is Lens and Julie's plans for next year's JLA-JSA team-up constitute a secret presently left better off unearthed. And we move on to the final letter we're covering from this issue and it says Dear Editor, wow! The JLA and the Justice Society finally meet the quality heroes! Len Wein, Dick Dillon and Dick Giordano really did a good job on this issue. The quality heroes are some of my favourites and I was elated to see them in a JLA adventure. Uncle Sam's characterisation was great. Panel 3, page 10, shows a great difference between the Dylan Giordano version of the Seven Dark Knights, as the Blackhawks are known, and the Kudera Dylan version of years ago. It was a nostalgic panel and I wish DC had never discontinued Blackhawk, who had one of the longest runs since Superman. Mm. Very true. Dylan and Giordano really did justice to Lou Fine's Ray. The Ray fairly glistened among the other superheroes. I can't wait to see Dollman and Black Condor in action and hope Dylan and Giordano continue to live up to the high art standards of Lou Fine and Reed Crandall. In conclusion, I think JLA 107 was fantastic. And that's from Bob Hobart, Mentor, Ohio. Thank you, Bob. No editorial response to that one. As Pete said, that's the final letter we're going to read from this issue before we move on now to have a little chat about what we thought about JLA 108. Originally published the 2nd of August 1973. This issue kicks off with Uncle Sam giving a massive monologue and catch up to the camera, as it were. Yes, thank you, Steve. Which is great fun, yes. Again, that's another page where, like, yeah, Steve's doing the lines, so we just went, oh, blah, 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 <laughs> when we recorded it. So, yeah, but it's it's, it's good, and it, ha- it even has a nice, slightly alternate view on the panel looking up at 
mm-hmm. the Eiffel Tower. Yeah. Let's have a look and see. Are the heroes all standing in the right and the correct order, the same order as they as they were in the shoe? Yes, they are. So that helps. Wow, that's good. Attention to detail. Excellent. We love it. Mm-hmm. And then we're into the first main chapter of this issue. And it's Superman, Dollman, Green Arrow and Phantom Lady, all in Japan. Yes, amused that Superman needs to wear the fur coat, quite frankly. I think that's just to hide, to yeah, be honest. And I suppose, to... yeah. The first mm-hmm. time I read it years ago, I thought, well, he's, he's not going to be cold. He's getting a bit older, you know. So? Like Sicardi, you know. So? <laughs> this is the only chapter in which we really see other civilians, as it were. Yes. Because we have the, the Japanese guide, Old Father, and some of his followers. There seem to be quite a few of them, like, all in this mountain. There's not a massive reason from it. It's just say it's a, a pilgrimage uh, to worship the ancient gods. So obviously they still have free will to do that sort of thing. Mm. But they're still being subjugated by the Nazis through a mind control machine. Yeah, aye, it's a bit uneven, isn't it? Yeah, because this would have been a great opportunity to show a bit more jeopardy to civilians as a previous. Well, yeah, I mean, I suppose the whole thing with the the island about to sort of you know, the whole of Japan about to sort of sink because mm. of an earthquake is it's probably the closest we get to actual sort of civilians yeah. and jeopardy in the whole thing. Mm-hmm. And interesting to go back to what you said. In part one, Superman's grey temples are very, very visible in this one. They're a lot mm-hmm. thicker and they're a lot greyer than they were in the last the last chapter. So maybe it was quite yeah. stressful for him getting to Japan. <laughs> this is really the only chapter where Dollman and Phantom Lady get any lines. Yes, that's true. And Phantom Lady's lines, she's mostly interacting with Green Arrow. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously, Green Arrow being a, a bit of a ladies' man Course. kind of thing has got the thing going on there with Phantom Lady. It's, uh, yeah, Green Arrow, I don't know. The way that they sort of get into the computer in this one is weird as well. It's like this weird sort of invisible barrier, but not, visi- mm. but not invisible sort of barrier that they mm-hmm. that they break through. Again, I'm just sort of a little confused as to where they actually end up. Yeah, well, they climb down into the base of the volcano, and Superman obviously senses something, uh, but it's not really said that he. He can feel something with the super senses. He literally does like a bit of a mime act and puts his hand up as if he's doing, you know, man in a box, and then punches, and all of a sudden. There's Computo 2 right behind this yeah. barrier, which is strange because it just looks like thin air. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, yeah, the final panel of page five is actually quite striking for that. I think just, yeah. you know, it's, uh-huh. it's just sort of poking through. I, I, I like that. Mm-hmm. I like that image. It's quite scary. I no think way. it must have, uh, again, to use a Doctor Who reference, it must have a kind of a Castrovalva sort of mental filter on it so that people don't walk directly into this wall. I see uh, so what you're think, saying. So you yes. think they're walking, you can walk across this area, yeah. but instead they're actually walking around it. Yeah. Hmm. A perception filter. Yes, that Superman's super senses can get beyond. Yeah, that's that's fair. It's pretty cool that he just sort of seems to have an instinct and knows where to punch. Yes. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> it's very Superman. Yeah. The other thing I liked from this chapter was Phantom Lady getting to use her black light beam. Mm-hmm. There's a nice little montage at the bottom of page four where they're all sort of like fighting and stuff. And I like the fact that she does get to contribute to something, you know, the, yeah. the blast of electricity coming out of the, mm-hmm. the computer to strike Ollie. And mm-hmm. I think it's probably the weakest chapter. Yeah. Despite the threat being quite major to Japan and all uh-huh. that sort of stuff. Maybe if we'd had some shots of, of the, the priest guy that was walking with them reacting to the island sort of shaking or yeah, that'd be rumbling, that mm-hmm. might have been a bit... Mm-hmm. Maybe brought it home, and as you say, would have emphasized the civilian point of view a little more. And speaking of the Japanese guide, old father, thanks very much to Tony Esmond for voicing him for us. <laughs> thank you, Tony, from the Awesome Comics Podcast. Yes, thank you, Tony. Much appreciated. The threat that is in this chapter is the sinking of Japan, which basically the, the giant computer does to basically get rid of Superman, who's a threat to him. Mm. And I love Superman flying underneath and trying to like grab the fishers and put them together. It's very it's Superman the movie, isn't it? It's very Superman. Mm. You don't really normally equate the, the Earth 2 guy having this power level. 
Yeah, mm-hmm. but it's, it's sensational. It's just he's the only person that could do this, so he's yeah. leaving Phantom Lady Green Arrow and Dollman to deal with a giant computer threat. Yes, <laughs> yeah, exactly. What, what powers have we got between us? Well, I can shrink quite small. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> I don't have too much to say on this one, really. I like the, the brief shot of Dollman getting into the mechanism and doing all that stuff. Yeah. That was pretty cool. Mm-hmm. You know, makes you think, like, if Ray Palmer had been in this story, they could have done it together. Yeah. That would have been pretty cool. It would be mm-hmm. really nice. I don't, because I don't think we ever see Dollman in the Atom sharing a space. No, and no, that's a shame. Anything pre-crisis. And that would have been fun. That, that's mm-hmm. a missed opportunity. If you're mm-hmm. going to do this, one of the letters, obviously, for the last issue talked about how, you know, you didn't have the the, the, the counterparts complimenting each other. Yeah. And you seem pleased. I think... This is a, a missed stop. I think, mm-hmm. you know, them sort of, maybe maybe the other heroes could have been knocked out, but mm-hmm. the two of them, because they were smaller, might have missed the concussive burst or something. Yeah. Uh-huh. So then they could have worked something out together. Yeah. It writes itself. Maybe when we write our DC comic. We could do that. We, we could definitely do a, a multi-earth or something segmented between chapters of Freedom Fighters and Seven Soldiers of Victory and Super mm-hmm. Team Family, where the Atom and Dollman end mm-hmm. up having to team up and rescue Hawkman and Black mm-hmm. Condor. It does write itself. Because <laughs> bear in mind as well that Dollman had far more longevity than the Atom exactly. had as far as uh, having any publications after mm. him. Dollman Quarterly ran for ages Absolutely. and he was in other titles as well, apart from that. And, if we haven't posted them already, I'm going to post on the socials. Maybe do it this week, actually, now that I think about it. You had a couple of issues of of Dollman. Yes. Now, tell me tell me the sort of the sketch with them. Were they, they weren't, were they reprints much after the time? They or? were reprints. It's a company called IW Publications, I think they're called. Uh, and they basically got a hold of some printing plates and they printed three issues of Dollman. I've only got two of them. Right. But they called them like issue eight, nine, issue 14 and issue 16 or something like that. It's <laughs> three random numbers just to right. make you think it was an ongoing thing. But there literally are only three issues and they didn't really have any rights to it. Interesting. And they just had the plates and they just said, let's make some money. No one cares about this character. Yeah. And DC weren't doing anything with them. This is in the 60s and boom, out, uh-huh. out it came. Yeah. Uh, so three issues in the 60s. Uh-huh. Yeah, so cool. Yeah, Peter's got two of them. We'll stick them in the socials this week because there's obviously not too much else to put on the socials this mm-hmm. week. So watch out for those. Yeah, it's an interesting one. Again, the computer doing a similar sort of thing, trying to take them out. and mm-hmm. Yeah, and again, it's got a weird ending because they destroy the computer and, and they say they've deactivated the mind control device and they say well, nothing's changed. But they're saying that just looking up at the people up on the on the ridge and they're just standing there. How do they know nothing's changed? I think because the people are just standing there in that sort of trance-like state. Well, that means something has changed because... Because they weren't previously standing yeah. there. I don't know. Hmm. No, that is fair. I mean, maybe... I don't know. What were they expecting to happen? I don't know. Hmm. Let's move on quickly. Yes. To the, the final chapter of... Well, the final the final team-uppy chapter. Yes. Now, I have I have heard the raw audio of this before it was mm. edited with um the sterling work from the Weird Warriors. Yes. I think there's a case of them doing this storyline in the Weird Warriors podcast. Certainly could, yes. It a, it's certainly a bit of a weird war. It's superheroes fighting Na- a Nazi mm-hmm. regime that won World War mm-hmm. Two. And Max and Rich, if you're listening, I think that would be a great sort of special mission type episode for it you to... It would be phenomenal, yeah. To, ...to have a quick look at this one, mm-hmm. given that you're, you're both already f- so familiar with the story already. <laughs> After having read every single page and panel before recording your lines, I'm sure. <laughs> I'm shocked that they're actually both in the same chapter. Yes. And get to interact with yes. each other, even though it was just individual lines that they were giving us. But they are interacting in the story together. Yes. It's superb. And I do love Hans and Ernst, the two German guards. <laughs> I want to know their backstory. I think yes. they're, they're the German equivalent of uh, Beetle and Booster. Yeah, I think if this, had been, <laughs> if this had been a movie made at the time, they'd be played by Michael Palin and Eric Idle. Yes. Doing comedy accents. <laughs> I could see that. No, it's great. I really like this one because Ralph's sort of like, almost the headliner. He's not been a member of the GA yeah. for too long at this mm-hmm. point, just a few issues. So it's And he's loving every second yeah, of this. They're still giving him plenty to do. 
One thing that I love about this whole story is the sheer amount of sound effects. There's so many large panels with sound effects. I'm going to spoil it for choice when it comes to picking out panels for tweets this week. And, yeah. or, or over the last couple of weeks, I should say. Thwam, thwak, thwak, whack, pock, whack, bath, clud, wadoom, and cram mm. all over the place. Sound effects set in New Jersey. Wesley getting to use his gun again, which is cool. Yeah. Getting to gas some Nazis, which mm-hmm. is obviously going to give him some flashbacks, I imagine. I like the, the the further demonstration of Sam being really, really strong just by grabbing a guy and yeah. flinging him around by the ankles. Uh-huh. That's absolutely hilarious. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the, the brilliant sort of sub-Planet of the Apes idea of, like, you know, Hitler's face on Mount Rushmore. That's genius. Yeah. yeah. It's a brilliant of image. Of course, that's what we'd do, yeah. Really, really clever. Mm-hmm. And as I said, yeah, I like that, that Rav gets so much to do in this one. Mm-hmm. Steve, obviously, getting some more lines as, as Uncle Sam. And Peter assures me I was Black Condor. So I have to say, <laughs> I haven't heard it yet. So I don't know. I don't remember. Recorded that weeks ago. It is hilarious the hero is trying to destroy this computer all just by punching it. Yes. <laughs> that's really going to hurt. Well, yeah, I mean, that's it. I mean, that's an interesting point, though, is like the. If you look at the three teams, mm-hmm. power balance is very uneven. Yeah. You've got Doctor Fate, Human Bomb, and the Ray in that first team, and then Superman in that second one. And yeah. this one, Uncle Sam, who's I suppose vaguely strong and yeah, super, super strength, yeah. It's a vague supernatural thing to him, but you know, mm-hmm. you've got a gas gun guy, a guy that can fly and a stretchy guy that doesn't quite add up yeah. to the same as the Ray and Doctor Fate uh-huh. and Human Bomb, does uh-huh. it? No, not at all. Not at all. Ah do I try and put together a Mount Rushmore cover gallery? No, because I've got a POTUS. <laughs> I've got a POTUS cover gallery put together for when Prez arrives on the podcast, yes. so I don't want to preempt that. Not that long away, actually. As the crow flies. Mm. It's an interesting one. Again, it's mildly repetitive in that they just fight the, the big computer, mm-hmm. but it's the, it's the that what makes this one, I think, more interesting is, as I said, that it's the use of Mount Rushmore. Yeah. Very, very interesting, and frankly, anything that lets us get Max doing his Ralph Dibney voice is amazing. I cannot wait to properly hear the first couple of panels of page 13 in situ. There's Steve and, and Max mm-hmm. converse. It's going to be great. can't remember if I said before, but there's not a secret base hidden in Mount Rushmore and Young Justice. Yes, there's a brilliant cover. Oh, that's a th- I could dig that out for the socials when they've got lots of explosives sh- shoved up uh-huh. one of the nostrils and of they're course. all jumping off it and Bart shouts, uh-huh. It's going to blow! <laughs> Perfect. Could Perfect. dig that out. Yeah. Listeners, do you want me to dig that out, that issue of Young Justice? Let me know. Mm. As, as ASAP as possible. And then, of course, all the heroes come back. And Red Tornado's so pleased to see them. <laughs> I could have done with a few less pages of Red Tornado flying around on his own. I'm not sure how they would have done it any other way, to be honest, because he's obviously not affected by the mind control thing because he's a machine, which yeah. is actually very clever. Mm-hmm. So the JLA JSAers are, are all obviously affected by this mind control. Uh-huh. But the Freedom Fighters still have broken free of it. So mm-hmm. we've got classic hero fighting hero action, mm. which gives us some great teams. We've got uh, Superman versus Uncle Sam, which is yes. exactly how it should be. The yes. Ray versus uh, Doctor Fate, which looks brilliant. You've yep. got Green Arrow trying to take down Black Condor, which is great, a moving target. You could visualise Condor swooping in and out. And Absolutely. Ollie being really frustrated that he can't hit him. Yeah, and the, the panel of the, the the second best panel of the whole story after the... <laughs> Looking up at the Eiffel Tower is, is I think, what you're going to highlight next, which mm. is... Dollman taking on Elongated Man by grabbing his nose <laughs> and pulling it very, very long, let's it's, be honest. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's hilarious, and it's just a shame that Ralph doesn't get any dialogue, but, you know, there's a nice juxtaposition as that's going on in the foreground to get yeah. ready ruminating sadly in the background. Mm-hmm. Batman getting flipped over by Phantom Lady in the next panel. Yeah. Yeah. 
obviously the cover alludes to it with them, all the heroes rushing towards each other. And it's one thing I suppose it was kind of missing from the last story was that there wasn't a big JLA JSA versus the Seven Soldiers fight. Yeah, that's true. So that's um, true. it's quite good in this one. It's like well, they right, did have to take on some of them individually in yeah, the chapters. Yeah, so they, they, they didn't, there wasn't a lot. I mean, they got Stripesy on and Sylvester on sides mm. pretty quickly. There mm-hmm. wasn't too much. There wasn't conflict with all of them. Crimson Avenger took a bit longer. Yeah, it's kind of. <laughs> Right, you know, stop, let's not team up, let's fight. <laughs> it's, you know, that's, yeah. that's, um, that's what's going on there. Mm-hmm. It was quite amusing. Then we're into about half a dozen pages of me using the new Red Tornado voice, which kills my throats. Yes, but it doesn't kill my eardrums <laughs> as bad as the Oak Red Tornado voice. I prefer the old one. Ah, uh, it's just, ah, uh, you can't. <laughs> I know, but you can see, listening to it, it's, it's like listening to those bloody old Cybermen from like, you know, mm. 1966, 67. It might be effective and authentic, but it's murder on the ears. It really, really is. Wait till you hear your computer voice. Oh, I can't wait. God. Ugh. <laughs> it's a horrible thing to say, but I quite like the Nazi space station. It's very Thunderbird 5, isn't it? Yes. I like the design of it. It's very amusing. Very Thunderbird 5. What was the name of Iron Sky? That was it, the name of that movie where it was like Nazis on the moon or something like right, that. Right. It was ridiculous. It was very much like that. It's just so ridiculous. It's, uh-huh. it's like Thunderbird 5, but except with giant swastikas on it. Yeah. And big Dalek nodules and stuff and things. It's very strange. But great fun. It's ridiculous. Yes. Red Tornado confronting Hitler, but revealed to not be the actual Hitler. Gasp. It's a robot. Do they reveal... I can't remember. They don't reveal who they, what happened to the actual Hitler, do they? No. No, he it's not He slipped said. off mm-hmm. to another dimension and turned up in issue 53 of Challengers of the Unknown. He did indeed. He became the Iron Dictator. That's probably what happened to him. When we write our DC comic, mm. we will have that exact story. When we do our Challengers of the Unknown podcast. Mm. I've got another two issues in the post this morning, listeners. It's happening. Eventually, maybe. <laughs> we should do a podcast of what happens in between each issue of the Challengers. Yes. That would be that'd be quite funny. <laughs> we can actually explain the end of that. We story. can write all those. Yeah, it's Red Tornado versus Hitler. If you want to pick any of these heroes to fight Hitler, it would not be Red Tornado. <laughs> you can imagine every other character fighting Hitler would be quite interesting. Yeah. But there's some good sort of sound effects and stuff. I like the panel mm-hmm. of Hitler gesturing to the heroes fight in the background where we see that mm-hmm. Green Arrow now appears to be throttling Black Condor and the Rays punching out Dr. Fate, mm-hmm. which is interesting. But I do love Reddy punching Hitler in the face. I hope I stuck that panel on the socials. Yes. Don't be afraid to punch a Nazi in the face. There we are. And again, another computer doing lots of talking. Mm-hmm. God, it's one of these things. It's fine to read it, but it does, for me, it kind of grounds to a halt a little bit. But again, for the second year in a row, Red Tornado saves the day in the JLA-JSA yes. crossover. Yes. Hmm. At great risk to himself. Yeah. So for all the sad sackness... He is the main hero mm. in these. It's mm. fascinating. They're obviously trying to give him a profile and make him mm-hmm. useful. Mm-hmm. I'm just bored by him at this at this <laughs> at this stage. Everything's just been so one note. Well, we have had the issue where he's trying well, to set up a that personal at this stage. Way. He's been consistently one note since he was since he was introduced. He's just so dull. Once he gets that yellow arrow in his head and the stripy trousers, mm-hmm. he'd be a bit more interesting. But things paradoxically, I don't think we're going to actually end up doing many stories where he has that look. Yeah, I don't think we will. It does come up fairly quickly, actually. Mm-hmm. It's very. Issues. He gets. Uh-huh. Uh, he gets the costume very soon. Mm-hmm. Yes, a madman's dream dies in a blazing bunker. There we are. Are they basically sort of saying that the computers are behind it all? Yes, I can't remember. AI has taken right. over, literally. It's so long story. since we recorded. Mm-hmm. And I seem to remember the day that we did JLA 107-108, I was incredibly tired after a couple <laughs> of really late finishes and stuff. So it was not on my alertest when we, when we did the recording. And I've not had the chance to listen to the stories again. So, um, mm-hmm. you know, I'm a bit, what's going on? I don't remember. 
I'm much more alert today, which is nice. Maybe we should go and re-record 107 and 108 again in my wake. <laughs> well, Maybe not. What's the penalty for murder? I um... don't know. <laughs> so everyone basically, Red Tornado comes back and explains everything and they all shake hands. And... and we cut to giant scenes in the streets of everyone rejoicing that they're no longer under mental control or, oh wait, hang on, that doesn't happen at exactly. all. Exactly. And this is the, the interesting thing is that this chapter is three pages shorter than part one. Yeah. So uh-huh. there could have been room maybe. Yeah, that would have been amazing. That would have been great to actually see an effect of what they'd done, Mm -hmm. but no, it's nothing. Were there deadline issues? Because the last few panels do feel a bit rushed. Yeah, very much so. Everyone's Mm -hmm. standing there, and then Jay Mm -hmm. and Hal's, Ross and Gav coming back, their faces appearing on the screen, and then Soup's saying goodbye to Sam, and Mm -hmm. Sam getting the final line. Mm -hmm. It's been the Steve Higgins show. Yes, very much so. Thank you, Steve. We loves you. We loves you. Steve and I sat and recorded all these lines together. Not together, because he's, he's in Missouri, obviously. Took us what half an hour to get the to get all of his lines done. Put it this way, listeners, this is going to be the last multicast one we're going to do for a very long time. This story, is it? I think so. We're not going to okay. do well, what? <laughs> what do you right? Do you want Rich to do every single Wesley Dawes line <laughs> in, in the the story with Sandy being stuck in the, the Velvet Cage in, well, in we'll issue one hundred and thirteen? It's been a fun experiment this year, I think, doing the Jaylee mm. JSA stories and getting other he- other podcasting heroes involved. Indeed. I don't know if we're going to keep doing it for every single Justice League story just because of the workload and stuff. Yeah. It's been fun to do these ones, mm-hmm. especially the, the Seven Soldiers one because the, the cast was so big. Mm-hmm. And this one falling on so soon after was recurring with Ollie and Ralph and Wesley coming yeah. back. It was fun to get Chuck and Max and Rich again. I don't know if we, I don't know, we have to have conversations about whether or not we're going to do mm-hmm. quite so many in the future. Well, yeah. Oh, I should also mention a big thank you to Dan from the Awesome Comics Podcast, helping us out with Nazi Voices again. Of course. Appreciated. We've all got so much to do, <laughs> so much else to do. I was hassling Brandon to do his lines the ray the week he'd had to have mouth surgery. <laughs> um, you can't tell, you can't tell. No, it's wonderful. And it, and it was just like, you know, man, if you don't want to do it, it's cool, don't worry about it, which we need to know because we're at the editing stage and he's like, okay. <laughs> and, he, and he did it, God bless him. Yeah, thanks to everyone. Mm-hmm. There's one story actually coming up comparatively soon that I've got vague thoughts about suggesting to Peter about getting other voices, but we'll see. The next one that we've definitely talked about doing is issue 100, the showcase, isn't it? Yes, that's quite a while off. That's so, quite a while But off. that is definitely going to be a multicast one. That's going to be a big one. Yeah, we'll see yeah. what happens with that one. So, shall we do the contemporary correspondence for issue 108 then? I think we should do the contemporary correspondence for issue 108 now. And the first letter says, Dear Editor... JLA 108's 13 Against the Earth concluded the best JLA JSA epic in the last five years. Why do I rave over such a common everyday comics? With an X tale. Twitch, twitch, Because there was no death of a major character or some such tragedy. The annual team-up between the two world's heroes usually brings about such an occurrence. Witness last year's deaths of Wing and Red Tornado and the death of Larry Lance in issue 74. The story by Len Wein was the perfect comics, again, story... Excellent dialogue, a tight plot and a twist ending prove that Len is one of DC's best authors. After cutting down a little more in dialogue per panel, I feel he will be the best. After all, there were only 11 panels in 108 that didn't contain dialogue. Interesting. When you have two excellent artists like Dick Dillon and Dick Giordano drawing for you, there is no reason why there aren't more wordless panels. The artwork flows smoothly throughout the entire story and can do without excess dialogue. And that's from Ahead of His Time, Greg Cole from Newark, Delaware. That's an interesting point of view. I mean, there should, there should always be a balance, shouldn't there? Mm-hmm. Between chat and not chat. Anyway, editorial response reads, Thanks a heap for starting this letter call off and up, Greg. We have a few things we could say about the business of limited copying comics. Comics the next. 
but between running into Julie's office to sharpen his blue pencil every five minutes and ducking out of the range of Lenween's rifle, we're just too busy. Gosh, response from Marty Pascoe. The next letter reads, Dear Editor, Take the idea of an Earth where the Nazis won World War II. Add six quality superheroes defunct. Lo, these many years, stirring two relatively new Justice Leaguers, include the Justice Society, or at least a few members of it, and don't forget to have at least one regular JLA along. Pour mixture into two issues of Justice League. And what have you got? Two awfully crowded and rushed issues of JLA and a lot of unused idea potential. Mm-hmm. Ooh. Len Wein's hubris is showing. If you thought you could get all that into two issues and make a really successful story out of it, Better he and you had done it as a three-parter, even though that would have used up a half a year's worth of GLA now, of course, because GLA's bi-monthly at this point. Yeah. Or perhaps at least you could have done it in two regular issues of GLA rather than GLA GSA numbers. What, after all, did the GSA as such contribute to the story other than adding to the general overcrowding? Wow. Craigie. This is, is it fair comment? I don't know, because it's a tradition more mm-hmm. than anything else. Anyway, the plot was held together largely by spit, bailing wire and cliches, especially in the second half. After a series of rather ordinary fights with the mind control machines in which the quality heroes did not get the chances they deserved to show off their abilities and personalities, I kind of agree with that to an extent, mm-hmm. we have a fight between our heroes and the quality ones just to keep the story creaking along. Then Red Tornado saves the day by wasting the monster machine that has, for no particular convincing reason, taken over from the Nazis. Green Lantern used to be in charge of the last minute saves in JLA. Now the Tornado gets most of them. And he produces the Jewish X machina to get the JLAers and JSLs home. Wow. The story was reasonably enjoyable, even so. Len Wein's skillful scripting can do a lot to cover up plot defects, but Len, try to put in each story just the ideas and characters that you think you can develop, and then go ahead and develop them. Bill Henley Jr., Uniontown, oh, where's it, oh, Ohio? Editorial response. Put down the gun, Len. That's a boy. Nice, Len. (laughs) Put down the gun. The next letter's from a familiar name, and it says, (laughs) Dear Editor, Wow! Not only have you added the Cherished Justice Society to the already immortal Justice League in the yearly team-up, but you also threw in six more heavenly heroes. Crisis on Earth X and 13 Against the Earth were splendidly written, penciled and inked. The cover of JLA 108 will go down in my book as one of the best I've seen for the Justice League. Red Tornado certainly is determined to make himself the greatest Justice League member ever. You'd think that the other members would consider him more of a human than an android. He's already saved them a couple of times, even though he was the one to start trouble in the first place. Although, if he weren't there to start a havoc, they would not have been in the great adventure that they were in in the two spectacular issues. The least I can say is, bravo for the JLA, GSA and Uncle Sam and the Superior Six. That's an alternate name, that's quite cool. Keep them flying! And that's from Mark Miller, not the comic writer Mark Miller, or indeed the other comic writer Mark Miller, from Holden, Massachusetts. Editorial response. Wow, thanks, Mark. Now maybe Len won't shoot after all. Gosh. The next letter. Dear Editor. Prediction. JLA 10718 will go the same route as issues 21 and 22 and become landmark issues for collectors. Hmm. I imagine these two latest editions will be the Shazam of old quality readers. Obviously, because around about the same time, Captain Marvel was brought back. I've enjoyed the old stories and your reprint books, but the old jams were slanted more towards action than character development. I was expecting some in-depth characterizations of the Freedom Fighters, and Uncle Sam's was to a T. Unfortunately, 43 pages doesn't allow much room for personalities to emerge, even if you're a pro at it, right, Len? I think it was a good move to utilize Earth 2's Superman instead of Earth 1's. Mm-hmm. The former has only had a few lines in any of his appearances since the JSA's return, and those times have been few. I always wondered what he was like. And I think he does come over quite well, yeah. actually. Yeah, definitely. It was a, a, he felt mm-hmm. really distinct from the regular Clark. Yeah. Kudos to Nick Cardi. His covers have been 100% better lately than ever before. 108's cover, Raya Bell, 
Sure enough, in about the middle of my stack of JLAs, I found JLA 56 with its similar layout. Both hold a special place in my collection. And that nice, warm, friendly letter is from Scott Patton, Elliot City, MD. What's MD? Mandragora? Middlesex. Lol. MD? I don't know. Steve? The next few letters talk about Red Tornado. We're not going to do all of them because it's of a similar sort of bent, but we're going to do the final one that focuses on them from Ray Engelberg in the Bronx, New York. And Ray says, Dear editor, at last it's happened! The Red Tornado has come of age. When he was first introduced in 1968, the idea of a somewhat bumbling, introspective superhero with little self-esteem was novel. From then on, though, it's been more of the same until now. Len Wein has shown us a side of the Red Tornado which had been shown previously but which never flared forth so intensely before. I'm referring, of course, to the climax of the latest JLA-JSA saga, 13 Against the Earth. After two episodes of ponderous, more of the same, computerised, mechanised, mind-controlling devices, we get an inexplicable burst of fury from our Earth-1, Earth-2 and Earth-X stalwarts. It is then that the Red Tornado begins living up to the latter half of his name, and because he is an android, a fact which strongly contributed to his early feelings of inferiority, succeeds in accomplishing what 12 top drawer stars could not, including returning the JLA and the JSA to their respective home worlds. The Red Tornado-dominated ending, while not making up for what went on earlier, did however set the basis for future storylines, and as such, could well become a turning point in JLA history. Red Tornado need no longer drown in self-pity. His companions can now recognise his ability to use his powers and intellect quite effectively. Red Tornado has proven himself more so than even before, and can now take his place among the world's greatest heroes as their peer, in his own eyes, as well as theirs. Well said, Ray. Well said. Yes. Fair enough. <laughs> One interesting fact about this whole two-parter is, I think the only time the term Earth-X is used is in a Red Tornado thought balloon. None of the heroes actually ah. refer to it in dialogue. And I think it's in the captions once or twice. Right. But Retinado's the only one that actually mentions it, and that's it again in a thought balloon. That's very interesting. I don't mm. think that occurred to me. A, because I was asleep when we recorded it, and B, because I didn't do <laughs> Retinado's voice or the captions. That's very interesting. Mm-hmm. Very, very interesting. So this is probably a good point to say we've had a, a letter from Uncle Sam himself, Steve Higgins. Yes, friend of the show. Mm-hmm. And Steve says, hey guys, Caitlin wanted to tell Peter that he did a really good job with the voice acting for all the people who got strangled in the crazy Uncle Sam story. (laughs) She wanted me to tell you that she thought it was really funny. Well, that's what I was going for, so yes, that works. (laughs) Meanwhile, I also wanted to reach out to you guys about the Black Condor story in the same issue. You are marvelling about some of the details of the story, and I just wanted to mention that it was a pretty accurate depiction of some of the labour disputes that happened here in the US during the 1930s and 40s. Companies, in particular mining companies, but it was a practice for lots of other types of manufacturers, would make workers move into company towns where they had to pay the company rent and they got paid in scrip that was only good at the company store, meaning workers could never build up any savings to get out of those awful working conditions. Blimey. In pop culture, the most famous depiction of that arrangement would come from the folk song 16 Tons. I never knew that. All right, okay. Then when workers would try to unionise, the companies would pay some of the employees extra to snitch on their co-workers, hence the company spies in the story. And when workers attempted to strike, the companies would hire in police of their own, or militia, to beat the workers into submission. The Pinkerton Detective Agency was one of the most notorious groups that were hired by the companies to bust up the unions. I've heard of that rings a bell. I've heard of the Pinkertons. 
Anyway, basically, I wanted to say that while the story seems very political today, it was actually very clearly addressing commonplace issues of the time period. Interesting. That the kids who bought cheap comics had probably witnessed the adults around them suffering through. Steve, thank you. That was fascinating. Very interesting. I don't think that's a was ever a thing over here. What he's described. I mean, I know there was new towns and all that mm. sort of stuff, but and yeah. you hear occasional things about Christmas bonuses being paid and vouchers that can only be spent in the yeah. shop that you work in and stuff. Yeah. I remember hearing about such things in the past, but that's not. I don't think that's necessarily in quite the same it's level. Not a bad thing, no. That was interesting. Thank you, and Caitlin. Where's 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 my compliments, please? You just have to act better. <sighs> where's where's my compliments for my William Hartle impression and the outtakes from <laughs> from Mister Who? Anyway. No, but thank you folks for getting in touch. Hopefully that'll encourage some other people to get in touch. You can email us at the Earth2 Podcasts at gmail.com. You can even leave us a voicemail at speakpipe.com forward slash the Earth2 Podcast. And we might even play out your comments on the show. Make sure you follow us on social media because we're putting up some lovely bonus material for this and indeed every episode. I'm not sure what there is to put up this week beyond your, your Dollman covers. We'll see what I can scrape together. I've got an idea. Okay, right. I'll fill you in later. And if you're curious about that, it's on Facebook and Instagram, we're at the Earth 2 Podcast, and on Twitter, we're at podcast underscore Earth 2, and it's the number two for all of our social media. If you're feeling generous, you should go to wherever it is you receive your podcast and leave us a positive review. I'm told that such things are good for our visibility and our algorithms. Once again, we'll say thank you to all those who helped us out with extra guest voices over the last couple of weeks. It's much appreciated. Yes. Once again, we'll put links to to their various shows in the show notes for this episode. Absolutely, We're really, really grateful for all your support. We're not going to ask you for a while. (laughs) We're going to give you some peace. Um, On that bombshell. Yeah, so we're coming up to the end of the year, listeners. So next week's episode is going to be our recap of 2023. Gasp. Stay tuned. Yeah. If you like us rabbiting rather than actually doing a story, you're in for a treat. Well, they Two are. weeks in a row of that. Superb. <laughs> Oofed. Right. On that bombshell. I've been Peter. I've been David. Keep fighting for freedom. We'll see you next time on... The Earth 2 Podcast. Podcast. Transmatter cube activated. Return coordinates set for Earth Prime. I'm Christine Panton, and I play Panton Lady. <laughs> I thought you might want more for the outtakes.